a lot of these companies who are fully remote, like Basecamp, like Zappy, like whoever else, they still get together, yeah? And that's the key. And, and for retention, yeah? Like for retention and onboarding new team, you know, you will lose people because they haven't, they're not committed to the team, yeah? You know, because it's much harder to bond personally. And that's one of the things that brings people in. You also have people like, you know, that we always say it takes, you know, the first three months to really get someone, someone up to speed, six months to really have them like properly going, yeah? If you're remote and you're hardly seeing people, that three months easily becomes five months and the six months easily becomes a year. So as you grow your team and have to manage that, it just compounds in difficulty, yeah? So like spend the money flying people, potentially you save it because you don't have offices, you know? So it's not necessarily an added expense and it's like a couple thousand dollar flight will pay back if you make better calls. One characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. It was grit. So yeah, I know we got connected through, who was it on your team? I think. Casey. Casey. So he's, okay, over, gotcha. he's over West Coast side. Gotcha. He connected with Kyle, who's my co-founder, and Kyle just had a baby. So he's like never available for anything. <laughs> Casey's about to have a baby in like a week. So okay. obviously we're at the very same life stage with the... Uh, yep. <laughs> with we're the all going through the same stuff. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, Kyle's, he's been in and out. Sometimes he can make it on a... But podcast team to be like the, you know, it's the last priority, which I totally understand. But yeah, we've actually talked before. So I don't know if you ever remember this, probably not because you have a million users. Yeah. But so, and I wanted to talk to you about this a little bit. So I used to use the product a ton with our other, we had another business called User Feed, and we had a lot more users than our current business is low amount of users, much higher revenue. But I used to it's use it because, yeah, because I had, well, I had people like, you know, coming on board all the time. So I would reach out and send them a video and I loved it. I was like a big proponent of it. And I, you know, hopefully introduced you guys to a bunch of new customers and stuff was always talking about it. And then one time I got this crazy, I thought it was like insane, but somebody like, they didn't like that I sent them a video. They thought it was, they thought it was creepy. I think that was the right word, but it, you know, I literally would just send the same, <laughs> same video message to every single person, no matter who it was. And this person thought it was creepy so then I got scared. I was like, is it creepy to send this? Like, I don't know. So then I reached out to you and I was like, do you guys ever hear this? Like, what what's going on? And you're like, no, I've literally never heard that before ever. And I just looked at your message and it was like totally normal and not creepy. I have a vague memory. Like, I recognize your name. We haven't talked to person, have we? No, no. Yeah, because I'm like, I definitely don't recognize your face, but I recognize the name. I remember that. Like, it's not something I've heard since. Like no one really ever gets right. back with that. Yeah, we have people reports of a spam because they got bad funnels and stuff. But like, I don't think people think it's weird. I've never had that. Uh, yeah, I didn't think it was weird when I was doing it, which is why I was doing it. I think probably 99.9% .9 of people wouldn't think it's weird. But this particular person thought it was weird. There's always like that small. It's them, not you. Right. <laughs> there, you know, there's like these like, I feel like there's like this small group of like digital kind of idealist or elitist kind of people that like you know it's like they don't want any emails to ever hit their inbox and they don't want any sales to be happening anywhere and it's like hey that's you know this is kind of how the world, world works yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah i just remember that was like the one conversation we had obviously it was just over email but and kyle and i having this come up again is like got us back into the app and so hopefully we are about to launch a couple new offering well one's like a, more of like a service the other one is another SaaS product so i'm hoping to just 
like once we start going full, you know, once we launch that, we're just going to you know, start using it again. And Can I ask what it is? Or is it a secret? I don't think we've announced it, but it's no, it's not really a secret. <laughs> so we're user feed was it was a product feedback tool built on top of Intercom, which I think you guys. Use yeah, Intercom. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we ended up building another product, which was basically sort of like a automated follow ups tool on Intercom. So like when you're in a support conversation and you don't want to like keep snoozing and like then you come back to the conversation and you try to, you know, write another note. It just allows you to like set up like a set of automated emails that if they respond, then they respond and it stops. If they don't, it'll just keep emailing them based on whatever you had in that, you know, whatever that automated email segment. But so we ended up selling that business, but like we always sort of get this, this urge to just kind of do something on the side. And that last, that bump product that we had actually has done pretty well over the last year after we sold it. That guy actually is the guy that bought our company is selling it for like 5x more than when he bought it from us from in like a year, <laughs> which kind of annoying, but the bump product really kind of like took off and that's really what grew the business. But we only spent like two or three weeks building that particular product. And so we were like, you know, if we could sort of narrow the focus and sort of, you know, give sort of a max, hey, this is what we're willing to spend on this in terms of like effort and just kind of get it out there and have something that's you know, super low effort, then I feel a little more comfortable about doing multiple things. Like last time we started doing multiple things, it just got insane. And like, it was just too much. But that's because we were spending so much time on that on user feed. And so this time around, I think, anyways, long story short, we're basically building something that basically at a high level, like helps you reduce the amount of stale content you have in your help center. So like with Intercom, like their help center. So like, I mean, if you looked at our help center right now, it's terrible. Like everything, like old screenshots, none of it makes any sense. If you're a tech company, things change so all is this the like, time. Is this like images and stuff that can be still up to date? Things like images, the content as well. I used to use a product called Guru. You ever heard of that? No. I know the problem like very well. If you solve this, yeah. we're a customer. <laughs> like give us your beta. Like just give it to us. If you solve this, like because we've talked about this before. I'm like, someone's got to build something that, that helps with this. Yeah, because it's... Like keeping like help support content updated right. is a massive challenge. We're always like, oh, we can't, you know. And if you ever solve it in video, like you're talking about like a multi, like millions of dollar business there. Because if you can keep video content done. Yeah. We, so we've talked about like, what's like the best version of this? Like what would be like the version that everybody would immediately be like, oh my God, this is amazing. That's a little bit harder to do. And maybe that's a more like V2 kind of thing. Ours, we're thinking kind of like baby steps here. Start small. But if you get into the video stuff, chat, like we can try to help out. If you can solve this, I'll help you. No, yeah, we'd love to talk about that. I mean, so just to give you some context, like so Guru is basically like, it's like internal docs. So like internally within your company, you may use like Notion for this. Conference, There's a lot of different Notion. tools, but yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so they had some really cool features around this, but it was specific to their product. And that was something that we always really liked about their product that it's sort of at the very minimum, like give people some sort of like you get to identify like what's the stale date on this or like when does this go stale? Is this like validate that this stuff is up to date kind of thing? And so we were like, why does that not exist for Intercom for some of these other, you know, external help center related products? And so we're starting with Intercom, but keeping it, building it in a way that it's open, we could sort of like build in hookins for other help center products that people might use. So 
Anyways, it's very basic right now. I wouldn't even say it's not ready for beta yet, but it's currently being worked on. I would expect it to be ready in the next few weeks, barring Kyle's kid situation. <laughs> if you want early feedback or want someone to look into it in the air, like my team's there to help, yeah? Like, just let us know. Like, we're heavy on Intercom. Boom, first user. <laughs> there we go. And if it works, I'll pay. Just tell me the price. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for jumping on. I don't want to take up too much of the time. I want to focus more on you. I love this. This is what I love. Yeah, I like new ideas for businesses. Like, yeah, very seriously, like you're onto something. This is a good problem. It's a really good problem. And Bill Intercom is smart. Yeah, like it's, it's super smart. I think Intercom got to, the articles got to like a million dollars AOR in six weeks of launching it. Really? Like, when they first did it. Yeah, because they just went to all their users. Everyone just quit Zendesk like the next day. Yeah. So like that was years ago. Their user base is huge on that. Yeah, I think like, I mean, we spent like two years building on that platform, essentially. And what we found was one of the great things about it is like almost all of our customers came directly from the Intercom App Store, which for a bootstrap company, it's like, you know, that's awesome. You have an immediate free channel where, you know, you have leads coming in. The other good thing is that Intercom customers tend to spend, I mean, they're spending a lot of money with Intercom probably, right? So some of their customers are spending, I would assume, six figures, maybe a few customers paying you know like maybe seven figures but a lot of their customers and they're they're going up market so like our little app that's on the app you know app store if it solves a problem it's a no-brainer and it's like not even something they look at it's just swipe the credit card type of situation so for a bootstrap company especially for like a side project it's a pretty solid place to be i don't know why more people don't do it like if you look at their app store (laughs) keep it it to yourself yourself. people are scared to build on platforms i mean i get why they're scared but but look at I Shopify, are... like look at Shopify, yeah, like the amount of apps on there, like, I think Intercom's just a bit, because it's very SaaS focused, yeah, like we get it, yeah, we're in SaaS. I mean, ProfitWell built on Stripe and they've just sold for a couple hundred million, like that's where they started, like, I don't know, I That'd think the platform nice. play is pretty smart, yeah, like it's it's a focused channel. So when you say like you're looking to like other things to plug into other like help centers, just go super deep on Intercom, just like, like you guys know it well, you've done the two years on it, you're perfectly, pl- just go super deep. Like, just nail that so well first. And, like, don't worry about it. Because, like, I mean, ProfitWell did Stripe for years. And then they started to go into, the like, other systems after that, yeah? Right. There's a couple companies on the Shopify ecosystem that basically build... They built out, like, 10 different apps. And they use it as sort of their own... Like, they're pulling customers from the Shopify ecosystem. But once they get into their ecosystem, now it's like this sort of their own little funnel, right? It's like, use this app. Oh, you have these other apps. They start using those apps. That was why we built the other app and it was starting to work, but we ended up selling off the business and then it really worked after, like it continued to work after that. And so we we're like, oh man, maybe we're just like jumping back in. Like, you know, we feel bad that we didn't keep learning going points. with that. Le- like, but this is all the learning points. But this is what positions you, like every time you do this, yeah, you just add the, an extra zero onto the end of the company. Like every time you just level up, yeah? Yeah. Obviously I know a lot about Bonjoro and I was, you know, I used it for a long time and going to continue to use it. But I noticed that you have another business or you maybe had another business prior that sort of led you to Bonjoro. Or, so is it verbate? Yeah, so it's, it's essentially like a research. It's a qual research company using video. So we understand the video space pretty well. Yeah, so that, that was our first company. It actually runs out of London in the UK. So does basically farms out surveys, questionnaires to people around the world who are recruited, yeah? So this is, this is generally research for big FMCG brands, big enterprise brands, like 
you know, Huggies looking at, you know, launching a certain type of nappy into, you know, third world countries, yeah, into like India, wherever else, yeah. So they'll go and talk to 50 consumers and we'll have people do video diaries over a week. So they'll be giving questions and each day they'll do videos, how they store it, how they use it, or like other products they use, access, they'll do, go shopping on camera. They'll come in, we then like, I guess, pull all the data out of that video, analyze it, and then feed that back to the client. And then they get the kind of that data and then they also get obviously the video reels with it. That was the first company. We built it here in Sydney, but all of our clients were in London, Paris, New York, because that's where those companies are. So Bonjour spawned out of that because we're using video to basically, I guess, give FaceTime to those clients on different time zones. And we understood video. So we built a little video app that did that. We tripled our conversion rates overnight. And then eventually those clients asked if they could use this video messaging tool. We put them on it. Their customers started signing up and we put a paywall and people started paying and we're like, oh, and then it actually overtook the original business within about 18 months in terms of revenue. So that original business still runs. It's a kind of blended software agency model because we're dealing with large clients on project basis. So two different businesses, yeah, like agency and SaaS. You know, the great thing about agencies, you get like massive projects, big revenue things. The worst thing about agencies is that they're project based. You know, SaaS, the best thing about SaaS is that it's SaaS, and the worst thing about SaaS is that it's SaaS. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it's super interesting to see the two models and go, these are different businesses, different funnels, sales versus, like, inbound, like, different ops, different hiring strategies. But, yeah, that's kind of how it does. Like, I just sit on Bonjour, to be honest. Like, I'm out of the research side now. So that's when I, that team in London. Gotcha. So did you sell to agencies? No, uh, we, so, you were we, sold, we sold two agencies, but we also sold direct to brands. So things like Danone, like Pepsi, like Unilever, like big, big. Gotcha. gotcha. Very different. Interesting. Very different. Which is why I like, yeah. I like, I'll be honest, like companies with less customers, bigger revenue, you know, there's a lot to that that's very attractive. It has its downsides, but it's, you know, it's a different beast, but it is I mean, potentially easier to manage. You can potentially have a bit, bit of a leading team with it. It's funny you say that because I think most people would say the opposite, but I've always said, you know, like, so our other business, Ad Reform, we have a lot, you know, a lot less customers than UserFeed had, but the revenue is so much higher and the support is a lot lower as well. <laughs> like our, the support we were doing for customers at UserFeed, because we wanted to be great at support. I mean, we're doing the same effort, but doing more customers, so you're doing more support. So, and then, you know the customers are typically smaller. And so we were, we had higher churn and like, there was just a lot of, you know, it was hard, but yeah, I think that's a lot of people often don't really think of like, they just assume like having a, you know, they look at like a Calendly or a MailChimp or something like that. And that's what they want. And I think everybody wants that, that particular scenario, but maybe, maybe if they're, if they're naive, I think there's, again, look, you know, it's the whole like elephants, deer, rabbits, mice. Yeah. Like, you know, you pick your, you obviously have to do a thing that suits the business. Again, large companies, the churn is lower, you know, like it's hard to win them. Yeah, like you need to build a sales organization, which is a whole different beast to an inbound funnel. So there's that side to it. Yeah, like customer success led versus sales led. It also depends, you know, as a company, what are your strengths? Yeah, if your experience is building sales teams, go build sales teams. If your company's doing, if your experience is doing inbound, do that. Look, the benefits both sides. Yeah, I'd rather have less users than you know, spending more money than a million. It comes a great example of a company that does that, I think. So do you guys have, I mean, my assumption would be you guys don't have a big sales team, but do you have, are you doing any sales at all or is it just straight up self-service? 
No. So look, look, we do, I'd say customer success and kind of, I guess, inbound sales, if you like. So it's more with a, with a customer success hat on. So we'll identify larger clients. We'll do like, like to be fair, we actually hop on calls and train and run like absolutely anyone through the system because we learn as much from doing that regardless if they're small or big. Obviously, those large teams we will spend more time on. We will, you know, start to like physically try and you know, chat to them and get cross adoption across teams, get the product into more areas of the company, as well as the product doing it itself. That said, you know, we are very much a product driven company. So that's a small piece of it. And again, we class that as customer success rather than sales because they've already come into our funnel. Like it's already leads that have come in. So we're not going out and fetching those. Is there an opportunity to do outbound? If you look at other players in the space, like I think Vidyard is very much a sales-driven organization. And so that model exists in the space and can do. They're different models, you know, for different types of customers, for different types of offerings. With us, we tend to work around like SMBs and SaaS, and that's all tends to be and e-commerce. Those industries, very much self-service centered. So what are the biggest growth drivers for you? Are you guys, my guess would be that it's heavily like you guys have a lot of different integrations with Zapier, like being a, you know, probably where a ton of people potentially find, or I guess they wouldn't find you that way, but is it sort of like this integration model where you integrate with a bunch of different things and then you pull a bunch of users from those specific areas, maybe through the app stores or. So our channel is predefined. Yeah. So the majority of our channel, like our biggest channel full stop is product leg growth. So the product itself drives in traffic here. Obviously, we have a lot of exposure, a lot of like our customers, customers see us, they come and we work towards that. Look, integrations of partners, absolutely. We actively work with those. So going back to that, like we don't do sales, but we do partnerships, yeah? So we work with those integrations to promote and to co-brand content and to do like white papers with them, that kind of stuff, yeah? So it's not like you just put it up on the app store, it comes in. We are just launching, we've had Shopify as an integration for a long time. We're now just doing a Shopify app that potentially can be a channel in most of our integrations because they're ESPs and CRMs. It's not like they have big app stores. So they're not so much to be discovered, but we, the way we get exposure is through content and then they come in. Yeah. And so also our inbound funnel is asking for certain integrations. So we build for that. Those tend to be our pieces like influence as well. Like, like a lot of it's word of mouth. So we work with a lot of like communities, a lot of like micro influencers, if you like in certain industries. We just pick us up and then we just kind of do the best by them and try and work with them. We pretty much, we're a very supportive company. So, you know, we'll hop up like, like consulting on people's funnels and stuff like all the time. Like if you want help, we'll just help them. I think that time, it's this whole thing of like ROI and time. Yeah, like you look at it and you go, oh, I did the hour call, exactly pay back exactly. But if that person goes and tells five more people, you know, it's interesting. Look, we're, we're taking the whole company down this loyalty route. That, that's kind of where we go with Bonjuro. Like we think companies can do a much better job of loyalty is because of the last four years, we've learned that that's, that's where we've succeeded. I think there's certain things you can do to make customers more loyal, that get them to stay longer, spend more and talk more about you. And if you can crack that, like that for us is like channel number two. So yeah, product led, the loyalty piece, and then I guess kind of like our partners, which does take active engagement to grow. It's not a passive thing for us. Totally. Yeah, I totally agree. I've always tried to, like one of the little... I wouldn't call it like a trick, but like one of the things that I've always done with any of our customers, if I'm ever on like a call with them or it could be like, you know, just any conversation, chat, whatever. One of the things I'll try to do, even if they're not a customer yet, is give them some sort of advice or like potential like tool that they could use that has nothing to do. You know, we have no monetary 
Like we're not getting anything from it, right? Like it's not our product or whatever. I pitched like Bonjuro before, like showing people, you know, how to solve their problem with other products that may not be yours is a great way to earn trust and loyalty with your product moving forward. You know, I feel like that's worked for us in the past. And so we just always, always do that. And we always go overboard too. Like we're spending way too much time probably with, with certain, you know, clients and whatnot. But I think in the long term, it pays off for sure. It does, yeah. Like it is the challenge is that you know you might not see those returns for six months. So you know if you are a company that like, like obviously like wartime poor, yeah. But like you like you look on like you drive forward and like return on investment, try to measure that. There are leading indicators that this is working. So you know like obviously tracking your traffic and leads and referrals that are coming in and finding out where those came from is probably the first indicator you'll get this is working. So if you spend that time, people are going to tell other people about you. So we know like X percent of our traffic is word of mouth. Like it's referred by a friend. So we, we can't always track it back to certain things, but I'm like, let's just keep doing what we're doing because it's extremely valuable to have that. I mean, I would just bet to anyone that it does pay off. Like just do it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. So many people are so worried about like, well, they don't want to spend time on support anyways, right? There's a lot of people that think that that's a waste of time. It's a growth channel. Like support is a growth channel if you do it well, because so many people don't do it well. Yep. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think it's good too, to like see the founders in there a little bit. I remember when every time, not every time, but a lot of the times that I reached out to you guys, you would pop in there. So I guess I have talked to you other times, but it wasn't, <laughs> we never real, it was just more of like, you know, how do I do X, send me a knowledge base article kind of thing. But when you see the founder in there, it just feels different. It feels like they care that you're a priority. Are you still spending time in support? I don't get support so much. I still do videos every day. So we welcome every time that comes aboard, we send the first time message to. We've always done it. I will go through phases. I'm a product guy. So I go into like product holes sometimes. But like right now I'm doing some product work, but I'm back on the messages. So I'll do like, because my son's out of school today, I'll cover off all, like, I'll try and do like a lot of our welcomes today. I think it's probably more important for me because I am on the product side. So I need to have a finger on the pulse of our leads and our users coming in because I need to know where the product's failing. I need to know people people getting confused. I need to know what's going wrong. But again, the other benefit is, is you hear all the time, ah, oh, it's amazing. I got, you know, got, got a video of welcome from the founder. We spread those across our teams, yeah? So I'm not saying that, like, I definitely don't do everyone's. But, like, I get as much from it as I give. Like, it's, you know, every action we do in the world is selfish. I'm doing this because I need to learn. I need to make sure I don't lose that. Will I continue that the bigger we get? Yeah, I think I always will do. I, get, I might have periods where I'm not around doing it. Support side, not so much because my CS manager and my CS team are just a lot better than me, <laughs> to be honest. They're way more across it. They make, you know. How big is the team? The CS team? CS team is four. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And you guys are using Intercom, right? We use Intercom, Still? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And do you say how many users you have? Or I'm just wondering 60, how much. 60,000. Okay. Wow. That's a lot of support. How many support tickets do you guys get every day or conversations? Yeah, a few. <laughs> yeah. A few. We did like disseminate support. So we're like product teams in like Southeast Asia and then front end teams are generally like Europe and the States. So most of our customers are Europe and the States. Yeah. So like by a long way. So it's nice. After we get off this call, this is like quiet time, which is why it's just one reason we have products here is because we can build like with that bit of peace and quiet. So I don't think it's a bad thing having the team here. It means that like I'll start early and we'll start early to service. But our teams overseas tend to handle that. It has its own challenges. Time zones and products, if things go wrong, like sometimes, yeah, like my CTO is asleep when everyone else is awake. 
So where'd you say he was? My CTO is here. Yeah. So like, so all of our product team are in Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. Gotcha. And then the, everybody else you said was in. Yeah. So like UK, so US, yeah, West coast, like West coast States and then London in the UK and then South Africa and Romania. Gotcha, gotcha. For all front of house. That was something I was going to ask. We certainly went back and forth a bunch to like set up this time to talk because <laughs> it's hard. To, I mean, it's hard to set up a time to talk with somebody. I think I've had one customer in Australia with ad reform. And I remember multiple times trying to set up some sort of call or something. And I've had calls at like 3.30 in the morning because they were one of our first customers. So like, you know, like we had to keep these customers and we had to, we were, you know, trying to get this thing off the ground. And yeah, it's tough. Do you find like, do you have a lot of conversations with companies in the US? Look, I'll have a conversation every every morning with someone in the US. Look, I'm a 5am club guy. Okay. So I, like I love mornings because it's quiet. The kids are asleep. I've got used to that. So any... It's so like if we do podcasts, I'll do them then. If I'm talking to partners, I'll do it then. Team as well. I'll do team calls early. Early we're forced into because like UK, States and Australia, anytime we can do stuff is early as well. So you're like three time zones make it like that much more fun. I love doing early morning. Yeah. Like when I have to do a late call, that's when I suffer because by three in the afternoon, I'm kind of brain dead. But I like that my UK, like my CMO is, is in the UK and he loves late nights. So he does calls at like 10, 11 p.m. And that's how he functions and he doesn't start early and he look off and he do stuff with his kids in the morning. Whether we've made that happen because we've had to, or whether that's because who we are is like most of my team, there's not many of us who are early morning. I think early morning is actually not the norm. I think the norm is to work late, especially with engineers and stuff, product teams. But it works for us. Apart like like one of our guys, like one of, I had a partnership since in Romania, but he's a Texan. And he starts at like four in the morning. Like he's a machine. Like I don't get that. <laughs> Like that's crazy well you're at five i mean that's not i thought five is good he like kicks my ass and he's like he's also got kids yeah so maybe it's not the kid thing is the common thread here yeah totally i've gone through phases where when i had my first i was having to get up like i basically had the shift at you know whenever it was like three or four o'clock in the morning and so same routine every day here crying i get up put my airpods in listen to a podcast while i'm rocking her and feeding her put her back down now I'm going to work. I'm already awake. Like I'm not going back to sleep. So, you know, it's like four or four thirty. Like let's roll. And I did that for a long time. I liked that because it was just like you said. It's quiet in the morning. You can get some stuff done before you have to. Like, you're not having a lot of customers writing in. Like it's just simple, right? Like there's nothing going on. There's no meetings. It's quiet. But over time, as things change, I sort of like lost that schedule. And now I'm on like a different schedule. Kyle's on. I don't even know what schedule he's on. He's on some crazy schedule. So yeah, it's tough to deal with that. And then when you deal with the remote stuff, it's like a whole nother sort of wrench to throw into things. So you have to, you kind of have to like move to a, a little bit more of like an async communication model. Is that kind of what you guys do? Or are you more like a, you know, Slack type of... Oh, Slack, like the Slack threads <laughs> of death, yeah? Yeah. Like, you know, I was looking at this morning, there's like 55 <laughs> comments on a comment. And I'm like... Oh, on guys, a comment, like, yeah. I'm like, we sure should be on a call right now. The way the model has worked for us as we've grown the team, because we are like, we're pretty diverse, like seven different countries, I think. So right, yeah. We've always had people in different countries, like I think since we were like four people. The way I've come around to thinking about it now is I think it's very good to have like functional teams on the same time zone as much as possible. Yeah. So I'm very driven about keeping our product team 
on like Southeast Asia time zone. I say that's Southeast Asia because I don't mind if there's a few hours here and there, but ultimately like product managers, designers, engineers need to be on the same, same time zone because we do work together quite a lot and you'll need to get into rooms, yeah, like be that remote rooms or in-person rooms, you need to get into rooms and hack the product, yeah? I think also that really helps to have customer success at least partially on this time zone because front like front line has to feed back into product as well. Yeah, it's absolutely crucial. Now, go to market can work on a different time schedule. You will always talk to product and deal with product, but it's not as immediate as, as impactful. So I go to market tends to, we, we prioritize where the customers are, hence Europe and the, and the States for that. But like I go to market team all needs to be on set or like on crossover time zone. So even West Coast States and London is hard. Like even that's not, not a perfect time zone, but it means you can cover like West Coast because London can cover the East Coast of the States super easy. Yeah? So again, like you kind of get four hours across over time with those teams, which is enough. I think async is fine, but you have to be able to talk in person. And like I'll, again, when you get those 54 reply threads, it's a case of like you guys need to talk, yeah? Because this will be take two minutes, you know, versus that. That was me prior to starting this business. And if Kyle was here, he would tell you that it took many years for him to wean me off of that. But, you know, because I have more of like a sales background. And so everything is like, I need the, you know, I need answers now. I need, everything is like very in sync. Yeah, it's like everything has to happen now. Communicate, you know, let's get on a call. My wife is in, she runs sales for a, actually a video company as well. But have you heard of Daily, by the way? Okay. Yeah, she's a Daily, but, and they're all remote too. But she's actually in that same thing that I was just, that I was in, you know, five years ago, which is like my whole life. It's been like, let's get on a call, you know, Slack, like everything is like gotta be real time. And now, you know, Daily is like all about like Notion, async, write it down. (laughs) And so she's like, she's running into that wall right now. You know, I've been able to transfer to that, you know, after a couple of years, but. The biggest lie for me is like, so like you gotta have a blended model. So the whole like, like you have to, so remote's great, it's awesome. It absolutely has challenges and you need to get people in the room together. Yeah, or you need to get people to break bread. So like, so like, so we'll fly our team to meet with each other like periodically. We used to do like sit, like sit, like yearly retreats where you get the whole team together. You would go to like, like Edinburgh for two weeks or go to like, you know, like the Outback of Australia which is great until you realize that you can't cover support or can't cover like certain things. Yeah. So like, as you got bigger, I don't think functions quite as well. So we tend to do like smaller treats. So we had like a US team came here for like two weeks. Now, like some of our product manager teams and engineers are coming in like to Australia for a couple of weeks. Like I think my designer's going to head to London for like a couple of weeks. We tend to like split it up a bit. Yeah. So it, it works better, but people have to break bread. And I think for some, again, back to having product team here, me and my designer, like head of design, get in a room and just hack stuff out on the board. And you know, we might only be in there for an hour, but that would take a lot longer online. And I, like seeing over COVID where everyone was so remote, like at innovation side of things on product development suffered. I think we didn't do a good enough job. Like I think we failed and somebody's got those cracks because of the remoteness. In person, you fight out a lot more. You really get your point across. You know, my get a market team probably, will probably say, say the same on, on their side. I think, again, like, I think product specifically where you're, because because you're problem solving, like, the whole time. And you'd have, like, someone from Go to Market come in and be like, no, no, you guys are wrong. Like, this is the, like, this thing here. Have you thought about doing this? Yeah, and look at this. So I think you have to have that. I don't think fully remote will produce the best point, at least in our company. Maybe some people have nailed it, but I, I think most of them, like, like a Zapier, like, they have an office on standby the whole time. Everyone can come in, yeah. Like, a lot of these companies who are fully remote, 
by base camp, by Zappy, like whoever else, they still get together, yeah? And that's the key. And, and for retention, yeah? Like for retention and onboarding new team, you know, you will lose people because they haven't, they're not committed to the team, yeah? You know, because it's much harder to bond personally. And that's one of these that brings people in. You also have people like, you know, that we always say it takes, you know, the first three months to really get someone, someone up to speed, six months to really have them like properly going, yeah? If you're remote and you're hardly seeing people, that three months easily becomes five months and the six months easily becomes a year. So as you grow your team and have to manage that, it just compounds in difficulty, yeah? So like spend the money flying people, potentially you save it because you don't have offices, you know? So it's not necessarily an added expense and it's like a couple thousand dollar flight will pay back if you make better calls. Right. You know? Hmm. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. I mean, we have a small team in the Philippines that's on the support side. We have someone in Portugal, someone in Brazil, then the rest are in the US. My co-founder and I are literally like a mile and a half away from each other. So we're the only ones that are actually, actually, I guess the folks in the Philippines are fairly close to each other, but we haven't thought about, I mean, we've thought about it, but again, just like you said, like we're like, huh. It's a go the, go pretty, the pretty expensive to go to the Philippines. <laughs> it's just so it's just opened up, yeah. Like the, the borders just opened up, so like flying in overseas is super easy. The borders have opened up a bit more relaxed, like into countries so team members can meet with each other because they actually have like really strict restric- restrictions. It's not expensive, yeah. Like if you have a look now from July, like because I've just been looking at getting our team here and flying us there, but as well from July onwards, prices have slashed because they want this to pick up again. I also think showing face has a large impact. Just turning up for, you know, just to be there. Yeah. And to get to WWE and, and to break in, like Brazil, still work, just do a around the world trip. They're going to pop to Brazil, come through. Yeah. Look, I know, like, again, it's expensive, <laughs> like a couple of thousand dollars maximum. And once you get to the Philippines, it's cheap. The other thing is, like, I'm actually British, yeah. So, like, I live as far as possible as, like, away from my hometown as I could do. I'm on the other side of the world. <laughs> the maximum you'll ever have to travel to get to somewhere is, like, 24 hours. And, like, you know, in my youth, I've spent days, well, I say in my youth, but like I've spent days hungover in bed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've lost days doing stupid shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's a day? Like, it's nothing. Yep. Yeah. It's all relative. We think it's such, oh, it's the other side of the world. Today, like, you know, so what? That's very true. I'm going to look that up. I have wanted to go out the, at the very minimum to the Philippines just because that's like where we have the most of our employees. And I sort of like manage the customer success team. So it would be good for me to get out there. But well, if you have a team lead there, fun to you. Yeah, you know? that's a good idea. I think I asked that before. I don't think any of them ever been to the US. So that would be, they'd probably be like, what is this? <laughs> what is this place? But they would yeah. love it. Yeah, they would love it. Yeah, like again, like, like and I would us, love like, to go there too. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, like just do it. You don't have an excuse to do it. I'll see you over yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> you do have some employees there. Yes, yeah, so we have a team there. Like two of our team are flying in, I think, next week. And now I think my CTO is heading over there probably the week, maybe a few weeks afterwards. Are they mostly on the product side or? Yeah, product side, yeah. 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 Where did you find them? Just curious. You know, did you just put out a job posting or did you like go on Upwork or, you know, some, one of these marketplaces? Different things, yeah. Like one of our product managers is over there and he's awesome, but he's worked with a lot of yeah, he's uh, he's worked with like freelancer over here for years. Worked with like another big startup like in Sweden. So very much a startup SaaS like guy lives in the Philippines. Engineers, look, I think the best way to do it is like we actually have a really good recruiter over there that we go direct through and that we pay to find us good team and then referral through the teams that are there. 
our hiring standards do not change from the Philippines to, you know, New Zealand to America to Europe. Yeah, like we are just as vigorous with everyone. I don't care where you are. Like we want A players. And there's A players in every country. It's trying to find those is hard. Again, like we don't put people in, in different classes. Yeah, like it's just like everyone has the same like benefits globally as if they were employed here. Good recruiters are good. If you want some help, I can put you in touch. Yeah, the way we've done it since the start is we started with Upwork where we just, that was where we found our first first person. I was a little bit hesitant to do it. Just I'd never done it before. And so it was just hesitancy, you know, with just things I had heard or whatever. Like I was just, you know, I had no experience. But we were super, super happy with the first person that we hired there. And then since then, anybody that we've ever hired there, like the people that are there were like, they basically just, it was like referrals. They basically just would find folks for us. So we have like our own. And I've been told by the team that there's a line, there's a bench of people that like are dying to work at the company. And so (laughs) that's sort of how we've done things. But that's super interesting. I'm assuming you guys are, I think I read somewhere that you guys are kind of in the millions ARR. What do you think for a lot of people that listen to this podcast and, you know, us, like we're pretty close to a million ARR. So we're like kind of hitting that point. What would you say was like the biggest challenge for you guys? And how did you overcome it to get to a million ARR? I mean, I think the biggest challenge, yeah, like I think the biggest challenge in business full stop is actually all kind of boils down to team. And this is with hindsight, I think, by the way. Yeah, this is not like I don't think we realized this at the time. I think having the right team in the right place to help you get that. Like, you know, ultimately, if you've got the best team, the company should spit out great products and it should get users on board and do a great job by them. Yeah. And should make good decisions on pricing and good decisions on growth, et cetera. Like, I think you could probably start with the wrong idea, but the right team and they'll pivot and, and put around to being the right, to being a, like a good business. Yeah. Like, I think I truly believe that's the case. And we pivoted and changed over time. When you first start a company, that, that's not what you're thinking. You're just like, who wants to do this? And then you all kind of jump in. You start to grow and then you look back and you go like, like you know, the certain team members that we've had o- over time have generated five or 10 times the returns of, of, you know, the mean, yeah? And so now I think we like specifically try and look people who are at that level and trying to refine your team down. This is hard, yeah? Like this balance of, you know, a star performers versus like helping people who aren't you like you know, versus being committed to the team and, and looking after them and doing the right thing by them. It's tough. I think in the early days we were very naive about this, as everyone is. You know, like we're not like we're nice guys, we're not we're, we're, you know, we're a nice company, we're all very, very close, which pretty makes it harder. So I think, you know, in hindsight, would I have made some some different choices there? Yes, I think so. Would I have held out? for like better hires or more fit hires versus rushing things. Yes, I think I think in long term is actually probably a, a better strategy, even though you need to do stuff like yesterday. That's kind of my belief. And I think, again, and then this all rolls into the remote stuff and where you are in the world and everything else you do. Yeah, this all comes into that. I think if you can nail that, and you read about this so much, but like you don't really get it until later, yeah? Yeah, so speaking of like, you were talking about like, you need to hire people quickly. You know, that can change too with like, if you take... If there's certain goals you have to hit at a certain time, you know, maybe you take funding or whatever, then like the quotas on hiring become, you know, the time when you hire someone becomes almost as important as like who you hire because you got like you, you got to get that stuff in otherwise. But like for you guys, I read, I keep saying I read most of the people I get on here are like, I know the answer, but I don't actually know <laughs> it with you. So I'm, I'm just yeah. like, I'm just saying this stuff. But you guys have taken a little bit of funding, right? 
Yeah, yeah. We took some funding fairly early on here out of Australia. And then we kind of, we had a bit of internal thing just to kind of gun for break even. It's interesting. Yeah, like I think mindset's changed a bit. Look, I actually do imagine that we probably will take funding again at some point. Been influenced definitely by a few people in the space, like specifically like the guys convert kit and this company called Design Pickle, um, like Russ Perry, who've built and Patrick at Profitwell as well, where they've built like just like world class companies with little or no funding. I think Profitwell obviously had their agency price intelligence that helped them fund in those early days yet to get there. Part of me is like, yeah, the good thing about not going so funny heavy is you have to build a business that actually is a business, like rather than a startup, to survive and get through. Potentially, it makes for much better decisions. And you look at those companies, I'm like, they are like some of the best companies I know. Because they haven't taken funding, they haven't been able to buy their way through some of the slack. There's also a different bit of mind, like, again, like being in Australia, there is a bias here towards revenue, I think, versus going, oh, look, seed round will raise five million and we'll just go for users and free. Now, that is a strategy that, that could work, absolutely. Yeah, and I understand why. And there's other strategies that work too. So we kind of, this, this middle, I think, like we're influenced on both sides. Whether that's correct or not, whether in hindsight, I look back at it in the future and go, oh, you know, we should just raise 10 million, you know, in year one and just gone for it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know the answer <laughs> to what's, what's best. Yeah, we used to work, this is probably about, I don't know, maybe like three years ago, we worked out of Calendly's office. And just because... Kyle and I were at another company prior to starting our own, and the company right next to us with just one person was Calendly, <laughs> the, literally in this little small kind of studio office right next to ours back in the day. And so we became, Tope and I became friends, and then he let us like stay in their office when we were, you know, like two or three people. But they sort of did the same thing. I mean, he initially raised a pretty small amount, and then for the longest time just couldn't, was always sort of juggling with that. I mean, they were growing like like crazy and he was just always sort of juggling with should i you know should i go for it because they weren't raising a ton of money it sort of forced them to they couldn't hire a lot of people but they were growing very quickly quicker in the later days but yeah he's sort of always kind of dealt with that issue and then i've had other friends that same thing like they raise a little bit at the end at the beginning and then they always kind of juggle with that and even uh, like we've never raised but we've juggled with it like probably three or four times at certain periods of the business where and we just couldn't it's so final right it's like once you do it it's like that's not one of those things you can kind of take back so we've always like we'll get right there and then we're just like eh, I, don't, I don't think we need to do it or we don't have to do it but i don't know if they were the right decision or not but <laughs> if you like wistia like a few years ago they did that where they raised like 70 mil debts and then bought out their investors oh bought them out yeah because they were like we decided we didn't want to sell the company. We wanted to keep it long term, yeah. But obviously, investors need the exit point, yeah. And it's actually looking like just like such a. It's really like if you haven't read the case, like go and read it online, yeah. Like they wrote a note about it at the time, and they're a fantastic company. I think just just a great team, and they and they've done right by the early investors for that, yeah. Where they've gone for, for that piece, and they've gone well. It's not about because obviously, if you have investors, there's an exit point for them, yeah. So what is that? Potentially, you get to companies where you're like, we don't want that. Like your decisions like are not aligned anymore. But then you still support everyone, yeah? Um, it's not necessarily... Fi- I don't think it's necessarily final. Like, there are other options down the line, you know? And that could be part of that journey to get you there. So, like, I'm not against fundraising. Like, board's amazing, yeah? Like, love them to bits. They've been super helpful. And again, would we raise again? I think we inevitably probably will, but not absolutely certain. Right. And maybe now is not the best time. <laughs> the last things year. are kind of crazy. Last year. <laughs> last year would have been that. I saw some last crazy year. Last year. 
was nuts. Yeah. So now maybe maybe buckling down is not a bad thing to do for the next two years and just kind of focus, yeah, for this fun period. Yeah, but you guys are you guys are doing well, and you have a. I mean, I think you took money at the be- the very like pretty much the beginning, right? So you guys have been fine for this long. I'm assuming you guys. My assumption is you're profitable, but again, another thing I don't know. But it, it you know, we're gonna like take it. It's not on our mindset for the moment. I think you still can raise in, in these times, and you'll be able to raise. You'd have to have like some pretty very well. Some pretty good metrics, which is not necessarily a bad thing again, yeah? Because it means if you do raise and like you genuinely have a solid business, a lot of good companies come out of periods like this, you know, as you did in the whole dot-com piece because this forces, you know, necessity is a mother of invention, yeah? Like I think times like this potentially forge great companies. It's a good thing. Good companies will come out of it and like bad companies will get weeded out, you know? It's probably the, you know, it's not, you know, people aren't happy about it, right? Because money's not just like flying around free money everywhere but at the same time it's more normalized it's what needs to happen to sort of and i like you know companies that didn't raise a lot like i'd say it's probably pretty good for us right now and any company that raised at like a normal valuation is probably like they don't care about what's going on right now it's the companies that raised at like insane valuations that are With concerned like burn and yeah yeah pre-revenue yeah. And, yeah totally well I know we're kind of coming up on the hour here. I guess my last question, which I try to ask most people if I know they have kids, is how do you juggle like running a company with all that entails with those two kids? Yeah, I said that. I think everything has to be sustainable. Yeah, so sustainability is the key here. So like when you first start and you're in your 20s and you're happy working 20 hours a day and you blow off steam by going out on the weekend, like that's awesome, Yeah. I think long-term, especially as you have it, because this is not just you, it's your team as well. Your team will start to have families and kind of, you know, start to build their lives around it, yeah? Like, I think, you know, if your team and you can pull whatever it is, 40, 50 hours, 60 hours, like, as a max in a week, and then make time for family and make time for your life outside business, it's much healthier and it's long-term. You know, if you burnt, like, the amount of friends I have, it's like, to fair, like, in things like, it's not startups, yeah, but things like consulting, yeah, where they, like, work for two years, doing eight, nine hours a week and they're dead and they burn out and leave. We don't have the option of leaving for two years. You know, like it takes more than two years to build a business. So what's going to last, you know, the five, seven years. And then when family comes in again, forcing function like the necessity driving like it's a mother invention, you have to take that time because you can't, you know, sit by and let, you know, turn around one day and go, oh, my kids are growing up. So it's fine. Yeah, I think productivity is the key. I think do more with the hours that you have. Helps when you grow a team and you can kind of put other people responsible for their roles. Don't kill yourself, you know. A lot of people say you can do as much in, in 40 hours as you can do in 60 hours. Just use the hours wisely. Again, forcing function. It's good. Look, at the end of the day, what will come first, the business or the family, like the family comes first. Right. It has to, yeah? For me totally. at least. Yeah. So. No, that's the hard part, right? Is like you're, you know, you're always, I don't know. I know a lot of people say like the forcing function, you know, sometimes having less time is more time, right? Like less time sort of forces you to, focus i find that hard sometimes i feel like that's the case like when i have less time like i can you know zone in and focus i feel like we're at the stage right now where it's like you know when my my wife asked me what i'm doing every day i'm like i have no idea i did like i feel like i worked in every area of the business i can't remember i I don't want to remember (laughs) like i did a ton of things right so it's it's hard to like sit down and focus like with other work i've done in the past where i had a very specific role 
that was a little bit easier because I like knew what I was doing. It was like very specific. And there was only, you know, there was, I don't know, like there's only so many things that you're doing. And so, but now it's like, I got to do so many things and they come at different hours, right? It may be something with a customer. It may be like, and we have customers all over the world. So it's tough, but yeah, you have to find a way around it. Like personally, like we've had to, finding a good support system has been really valuable for us because my wife is working a lot too. So it's, you know, we've had to find a good support system. You know, some of that is like more like daycare type stuff. You know, some of that is making sure you're close to your family so that they can help in different ways. But like having a support system, because it's just, it's really tough to do unless you have that. But yeah, we've made sure to make, you know, family is first and we try to stay under that 40 hour a week and most of the time do. So that's work for us. But I mean, it's, you're always, it's tough, man. You're always thinking, yeah, so like, Again, like my son's off off daycare day, so I'm gonna do later. I'll do some videos for customers, and then like I'll probably take it for like an hour and a half walk, and I'll be thinking about some of the problems we have. Yeah, so I'll come back and they'll be like, I used to do this, this, and this. Yeah, so like you're never off the business, so I'm not worried about. So like, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, someone's having time to think is a luxury that when you're on the tools all day, you don't do, and you make mistakes because you don't think do things. Yeah, you just do the things, you do the things, you do the things. Whereas actually, like strategically, what do you need to do this month is a big question that's gonna take you know. 20 hours of thinking time to kind of solve maybe yeah totally totally but yeah so where can everyone find you i think it's bonjuro.com yeah, is so the website do things yeah go to bonjuro.com if you want to try it out have some fun if you want to do better by customers it's the right tool for you look if you want to reach out to me always here for advice or for help if you go to linkedin and type in papa bear that's my official <laughs> title i think there's two of us i'm the guy in the bear suit so just yeah there's a guy there. you can't miss him yeah. <laughs> Say hi. I saw it right before the call. I'm like, oh, he's dressed up as a bear. There he is. <laughs> so yeah, reach out. Well, awesome. As a former, you know, I guess user with my other product user feed, I loved Bonjuro and I plan on using it with, you know, all the projects that we have moving forward. I think it's a great way to stay in touch with customers. And I actually liked, I had like a little, I guess, like part of the day that I would just basically like go for a walk or whatever. And I would just do like, you know, I don't know, like five of the videos, right? You know, of whoever signed up. And then I'd go on my day, do whatever. Then another five minutes when I'm walking somewhere else, walking to the train station, doing whatever, and just, you know, drop in a couple videos. We got so many just people that were, you know, wow. 99%, like I said, 99% of people were totally fine with it. And there was a good segment of those people that were like wowed by it, which was always really cool to see. Hopefully those became users for you guys. But I think if people use Bonjoro, like they're going to see the same thing. So highly, highly recommend it. And thank you so much, Matt, for jumping on. And hopefully we can stay in touch and you'll be the first user of the new product. I'm serious about that. <laughs> Put us on. Put us on. Awesome. Awesome, man. Talk to you soon. Take care.